0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: The Athletic. If you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, now's the time with our best offer ever. Sign up today and you'll pay just £1 a month for the next six months, giving you unrivaled insight and analysis of everything Euro 2020 and taking you well into the new Premier League Season 2. The Athletic is the only place you can read pieces by award-winning writers like Michael Cox, Rafa Honigstein, Amy Lawrence and Daniel Taylor. And when you subscribe, you'll also get ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts from across its audio network. Head to theathletic.com slash totally and become a subscriber today for six quid until the end of the year. That's theathletic.com slash totally.
2: Mm. Sevilla, Amsterdam, Glasgow, Munich,
1: Saint Petersburg, oh, Bucharest, Budapest, Copenhagen, Roma,
3: London.
4: <laughs> totally at the Euros. Sunday's action. Holy sh*t, the Czechs have put the Dutch out there in the quarters while De Boer joins a long list of managers Dutch and otherwise that have had problems with the Czechs Ari Redknapp amongst them uh, Meantime Belgium put out the holders in Seville to book a clash with Italy We review that and check out Monday's games in prospect World Champions France taking on the Swiss while Croatia face Spain who smashed them 6-0 last time That and some more vintage Euro on this day in this Totally Football Show at the Euros in association with Paddy Power Hello, listener. Monday the 28th of June and here to greet with you the new week. We have Enthusiasm's Michael Cox. Hello, Michael. Hi, James. Nice to see you. And experiencing sport as vertical streams of green numbers is Duncan Alexander. Duncan.
5: I think it's black numbers on a green screen, but yeah, that was was close. So, yeah, hello. Fair point. Welcome to you
4: as well. Welcome to you as well. It was a monumental day. Uh, second day of the, the knockout stage of this Euro competition, and it brought the biggest fixture and the biggest shock of the tournament so far. Would you say, Michael?
3: Yeah, I'd agree with that. Belgium-Portugal I was looking forward to. Not sure it completely justified our excitement, but it was all right. And then, yeah, I mean, Netherlands started as favourites against Czech Republic. I thought they were the better side, really, at 0-0 until the sending-off changed things. But, um, yeah, it was a, a pretty good day, I would say.
4: Interesting, interesting. That was a 2-0 win for the Czech Republic in Budapest and they'll be up against Denmark next in Baku while Sunday evening in Seville, as mentioned Portugal, the holders exiting thanks to Torgan Hazard's very lovely goal for Belgium. Belgium will next up be facing Italy and what producer Charlie points out will be an interesting reprise of the 2013 FA Cup final with Roberto Martinez up against Bobby Mancini, crikey! All right, well, we'll start off with the checks. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Van links naar There, in the streets of Amsterdam, as thousands of Netherlands supporters prepared for Sunday afternoon's game, with the same breezy confidence as Mikael Jorgensen on this show. Just yesterday. Netherlands had after all flown through their group as the tournament's highest scorers, the Czechs meanwhile, had scraped out of theirs in third place. But inside the Puskas Arena there was a surprise in store.
6: First of all, the Czechs <laughs> will come And that's not given There is the goal van Patrick Schick. And here mag je aannemen. Valt the doek. It falls still in the orange vak.
4: A huge save for the Czechs, a red card for Netherlands, then two Czech goals from Thomas Hollis and Patrick Schick to send Netherlands out and the Czechs into the quarters. Straight after the game, Czech journalist Carol Haring of Football Club Magazine joined us from Prague with his reaction. The one win in the, in the group stage came in that at times magnificent performance against Scotland. But this seemed like the whole team had
2: stepped up a level. What do you think happened today? I think it was the kind of the opponents uh, the Czech team like to play against. I would compare it with uh, with the game in March this year when Czech team played against Belgium in the, in the World Cup qualifiers, and it, was, it finished one one and it was a really good performance because I would say this team, you know, they don't have a big stars. Uh, Netherlands uh, have much more better individually more skilled players but this team is uh, usually strong when they can play against team who likes offensive football and they can prepare tactically for them and we could see it uh, today the uh, Czech team was pressing high they were of course except the first 10 minutes they were prepared for the for the wing backs so so it was kind of opponent and maybe even historically uh, we can see it on um, head-to-head records against Netherlands uh, because from last now it's from last eight games Czech Republic won five and lost only two and it was really big games against big uh, teams um, of uh, Netherlands so maybe the style of uh, touch football is something what uh, Czech teams can find uh, weapons against. Mm. Certainly, the, the red card for Delict helped
4: the Czech Republic in, 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 towards this victory, but it was magnificent how they seized the opportunity and how they continued to, to, to push the Dutch back. The, the Netherlands finishing without a single shot on target.
2: Yeah, I, I think the crucial moment or crucial moments happened in the, the one minute when Tomáš Václík uh, made a great save. Yeah, and then on the opposite side uh, there was the red uh, the, the red card. So and you could see uh, you could see the confidence uh, confidence of Czech team uh, of Czech team uh, rise a lot. I, I sometimes I I, uh, I feel it like my uh, my interviews about Czech teams are too boring because I have to always repeat the same. Czech team usually Czech team is based on a very good organization, team spirit. Uh, unity, where and uh, strong set pieces, and you could uh, you could see all these factors today as a as a key factors, I would say, and all the players and coach after the game when they uh, spoke to TV, they all mentioned team spirit, team spirit, unity. So I know I know it's quite boring, it's not sexy football from from Czech team, but very let's say pragmatic.
4: Hiring there, Uh Michael and Duncan, well, th- there you go, Sunday afternoon. Fabulous entertainment, as long as you weren't Dutch. What exactly happened, though, Michael?
3: Like I said, I think the game just completely changed from that red card. I thought the Netherlands started OK. I thought Marlon was bright going in behind. He had that one-on-one chance just before the red card, where he didn't even get a shot away. I thought Dumfries was again excellent. A couple of his runs from right wing-back were exceptional. And it seemed to me like the Czechs were really just playing very reactively, almost man-marking midfield. And in, in some ways doing that pretty well. I think even before his goal and assist, I thought Hollage and his um, almost man-marking job on Wijnaldum was really excellent. I, I haven't seen Wijnaldum nullified to that extent in this tournament. Um, but yeah, then one... I don't think it was just a slip from De Ligt actually. I must say, I think he misjudged it and got it wrong. And then slipped and then tried to atone for his error. But that mistake just completely changed the game. And from there, Czech Republic with a better side, no question.
4: Mm. Even before that, the Dutch hadn't actually had a, a shot on target. And of course, they finished without a single shot on target for the first time, I think, in recorded Ever. history in a, in a tournament game. Uh, the, the red card, Duncan, you, you posit that it's tougher for international teams to play with 10 men than their club equivalents.
5: Well, um, yeah, our friend Jack Pickbrooke tweeted that, and um, it reminded me that England have only ever scored one goal in their entire history. It went down to ten men, which was a last-minute penalty from Raheem Sterling in a away at Iceland, which is not possibly the toughest fixture um, ever. And you would expect that to be the case, I think, because the best-coached teams, are clubs, and they're the ones that can, you know, practice more with variants like. Um, you know, being down to 10 men or whatever. So it, it did feel as soon as that red card happened, you know, Czech Republic took the lead not long after. And, and you know, as you said, um, the Netherlands didn't have a single shot on target or match. I mean, they're called the low countries. Then maybe it should be the low shot count countries because Belgium only had one in their whole game. So obviously fairly crucial one. But yeah, I mean, that as you said, was the first time they've ever gone a, a whole tournament game in recorded history without one. Um and ultimately, after getting nine points from nine in the group stage and being top scorers in the group stage, I did something earlier saying it's, it's a bit like A-levels. It just gets you to the next stage, the group stage. It doesn't actually matter in the end. No one really remembers who got maximum points in a group stage. And, Would it um, be more like GCSEs then? Um, yeah, maybe. I mean, I think it works mm. both ways. I mean, because okay. when I remember getting to getting to university and the cheater saying, whatever you learn in your A-level, forget about it. It's rubbish. So... what
4: what, what did you study at university Duncan
5: Uh, history so he wasn't a fan of the history
4: time time uh, had moved on by
3: that point hadn't they
4: Michael I think there was a point you wanted to make about more recent history
3: I don't know that it was tougher to reshape after going down to an international level but I think it is tougher sometimes with a back three I think especially when teams get a defender sent off it means that they almost automatically end up going to back four because the wing backs become full backs which is fine But then really your entire game plan has changed. I mean, so much of what the Netherlands were doing at this tournament was getting Van Aanholt and Dumfries in behind, really, really high up the pitch. And they weren't doing that anymore. And they went to this 4-4-1 system. And it just looked like they didn't really have a plan. So Mm. I slightly feel for Frank De Boer. I think a lot of people were just so keen for him to fail. It almost seems like sometimes football coverage is... I don't know, starts with a meme and people's uh, tactical analysis takes its cue from that. But, you know, Marlon had a one-on-one and then the centre-back decided to pick up the ball as the last man. There's, there's only so much a manager, can, a manager can do to get players in certain positions and sometimes players have to take responsibility as well. And there were two massive errors that have cost them this game and ultimately cost them their place in the tournament. Uh,
4: the Czechs, though, did anything from the group stage prepare you for that kind of performance? As Carol was saying, it's not sexy, but it's very effective.
5: Well, I mean, they didn't play that well against England, which says more about England's control, I guess. Um, I mean, they didn't really try against Croatia, as far as I can recall, and they obviously won against Scotland, but lost on XG and, and shots and stuff like that. So, uh, but I mean, it just goes back to that point that group stages don't actually tell you that much, because as soon as the yeah. knockout stages start, it's a, it's a 90 or 120-minute one-off match, and anything can happen, Um
4: Okay, Uh, Thomas Hull is with the first goal. You were mentioning his uh, fantastic job putting the genie back in the bottle, as it were, with uh, Wijnaldum. (laughs) And and he also assisted Patrick Schick's goal, which now Patrick Schick has scored four of the the five Czech goals in this tournament. Uh, You'll no doubt wish to praise other players from this setup as well as we cast a quick eye forward to the the game with Denmark. What what do you think? Can, Can the Czechs make a real run of it in this tournament?
3: I think they're going to carry on playing quite reactively. I think that tactically they've been good at times. Um, I would have Denmark as quite strong favourites for that game, in part because I think that
7: what Denmark did yesterday really well was they reshaped the system after they
3: realised what the opposition were trying to do. And It feels to me like the Czechs will come out, be reactive, maybe Manmark again in midfield. But if Denmark had variations to get around that, I'd fancy them to... Uh, to progress. I'm still not convinced the Czechs are a particularly good side. I think they deserve some credit because they try to press. I think they're stronger than some the of their parts because there aren't really any superstars here. But I think the Czech Republic might end up being the weakest of the eight
4: quarter finalists. Mm-hmm. Although we thought they were probably the weak, one of the weakest of the,
5: the last 16 as well. I think uh, they still
3: are. They, they, they didn't play very well, right. did they, really? I mean, people are going so OTT on the result.
5: Yeah, I thought Suchek had his best game in the tournament so far. Played more like his sort of West Ham Premier League Suchek, we know. And I think he had three shots, which, you know, and, and as Michael pointed out earlier, Wijnaldum was, was very restricted. He only completed four passes in the first half, and two of those were in injury time. Um,
4: only 10 all game.
5: Yeah, 10 all game, which is the fewest by a Dutch player playing a whole match at a tournament, uh, again, ever recorded. So... You know, and he was essentially the creative force for a lot of their group stage games. And everyone was like, wow, he's playing very differently to how he did for Liverpool. But today he was pretty anonymous. Um, and I think that was partly down to, to some of the Czech players. So fair play on that. Mm.
4: OK. Uh, it's stat of the tournament so far, the fact that DeLict is the fourth Dutch player ever to see red in European Championship history. And all those have come either against the Czech Republic or erstwhile uh, Czechoslovakia. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. One other thing we should mention from Sunday afternoon is the ongoing controversy over over Hungary's reaction to rainbow-coloured symbols. Uh, This has been an increasingly hot topic after UEFA declined to allow uh, the Germans to paint the Allianz Arena in rainbow colours with lights, of course, uh, for the game against Hungary for fear of the perception of upsetting the Hungarian government who've just passed laws banning the portrayal or promotion of homosexuality. A lot of people, I think, a lot of spectators certainly at the Germany-Holland game went along with rainbow symbols. I think a lot were intended to do it for this game. Uh, there's a lot of talk that they were prevented from bringing them into the uh, fan areas. Uh, but it's, um, yeah, it's I think a yet more example of the fact that uh, while UEFA say, well, these things are under the responsibility of uh, local authorities—they they shouldn't really be awarding hosting duties to, uh, you know, places with dangerous right-wing governments like Budapest, Baku, or perhaps Wembley if you want to add that one in there as as well. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, nice to see such a concerted reaction though from spectators and players, and indeed advertisers. Although you know they'll have their own motives, but it is nice to see the the kickback against this being uh, being so widespread. Uh, it would be lovely if UEFA then got on board as well. Next up, let's head to Seville for Belgium-Portugal. The
0: Euros are here and we'd better make the most of them because they only come around every four, uh, five years. So if your bookie isn't making you feel special, then maybe it's time to find a new one. Yep, not so much carpe diem as carpa diem. Hmm. If the grass is greener on the other side, come and play on it. If your bookie's not giving you the best rewards, switch, and you'll get a completely free five-pound bet builder on England v. Germany this Tuesday. Paddy Power. Pretty much bet builder bets only much one free bet, win two plus legs online exclusive must have previously deposited. T's and C's apply into plus. talk This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before?
1: This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple
6: Podcasts. Torgan Azar Knollemar Hazard! Torgan Hazard met the 1-0. And so gaat it dus als je durft uit football.
4: The other hazard there with the goal that was the difference between. Uh, the European title holders and the number one ranked side in the world. Belgium winning themselves a place in the quarterfinals, but losing Kevin de Bruyne and Eden Hazard, Torgan's brother, ahead of their game with Italy in Munich on Friday. Uh, it was a game that featured all the hits, Ronaldo squandering set pieces, Pepe getting booked. Duncan, I had the impression you spent most of it hoping for it to kick off, as it were.
5: Yeah I mean Portugal tournament games have got a fairly good history of you know ending up with their own Wikipedia pages Um, and it did feel at the start of the second half like there were a few niggles developing and that did almost turn into a full-blown scrapping towards the end particularly with Pepe getting involved in a in a few scenarios but it didn't quite didn't quite happen. I think extra time would have probably pushed both teams over the edge. Um, and I think everyone by the end of the match was was sort of hoping for extra time. Maybe not us. Yeah. Um but uh yeah, I don't think Belgium did that well. But it it, it kind of this game fits into my new theory I one I invented yesterday that that it's not teams at this tournament it's stadiums that are kind of shaping it so you get a lot of the stadiums that are kind of producing the same sorts of games so if you ignore the quite considerable off the field stuff at Budapest most of the games at that stadium have been, been pretty good matches Wembley games have all been fairly not that exciting and this all the games in Seville have been pretty bad quality. And I think a lot of it is down to the pitch, which is essentially where people normally throw javelins at an athletic stadium. And it, and it does sort of cut up like it is not the the greatest soil and grass combo ever, ever put down.
4: Fair enough. Michael, what do you think of Duncan's theory?
3: Yeah, I hadn't considered it properly until he says it, but I think he's absolutely spot on. I think with Seville as well. I mean, it's just a rubbish stadium, isn't it? It's a classic old school you know, athletic stadium, really, it's, it's not really used for football matches anymore, I think, aside from the Copa del Rey. One positive is that people have stopped calling it the Olympic Stadium, because it really annoys me when there's an Olympic stadium that's never hosted an Olympic, so I'm pleased right. they've got over that. But, uh, yeah, okay. it's, it's a good point, and it wasn't a good game today, in my opinion. It was just slightly disappointing, I would say.
4: Before we get on to the, the, the game, uh, does anybody know why the Spanish authorities didn't hand uh, hosting duties to either Betis' uh, ground or, or the sanchez Pisuan.
3: I think, in general, they have been keen to just give games they can to this ground because it's there and it's not really being used for anything. I mean, it has hosted, mm. it hosted the UEFA Cup final back in the day, didn't it? And it, it hosts the uh, Copa del Rey final. I think quite a few Spanish national side games. So maybe there's a feeling that we need to use this ground for something. We've got these games, might as well have them there. But, yeah, for, I mean we can all have our opinions on, on the architecture of the stadium, but for the pitch not to be in good nick when you've got the the choice of stadiums across Europe does seem pretty poor form, doesn't it? Indeed,
4: indeed. All right, well, the game, as you say, a little bit disappointing. It it picked up a bit in the second half. Belgium, meanwhile, experiencing their first real test here, did, did they live up to their billing as kind of number one in the world for you?
3: I, I was a bit disappointed. I thought that... From both teams, actually, everyone just seemed to attack as individuals. And I thought that the goal was obviously brilliant. But if there was going to be a brilliant goal in this game, it was by someone just doing something on their own. I didn't think there was any chance of a really good team goal. I mean, I thought a defining feature of the game, as well as the, the constant danger that things would spill over, was just teammates they can really strop at one another. I mean, Lukaku just seemed absolutely exasperated with all his teammates. Obviously, Ronaldo joined in those uh, theatrics as well. And even uh, Jao Felix, when he came in, was, um, I think it was Bruno Fernandez took a shot. And he was just yeah. really showing his frustration, which I quite enjoyed. But I didn't think there was, yeah, there just weren't any teammates on the same wavelength, with the notable exception of the two Hazard brothers. And that produced the goal.
5: Yeah, Ronaldo's XG numbers were very high, but XG stands for expected gestures um, because it's one of the best things to do when you watch Portugal is if someone else has a shot as quick as you can, find Ronaldo and look at what he's doing and invariably he's not that happy with it. Um, he actually played okay in the second half. He like actually went out wide for a bit and did a couple of very slow step-overs um, and you know, was a little bit of a presence. But Portugal managed to rack up 23 shots without... I know they hit the post and they forced a good close range, save from Courtois, but they never really kind of got that, up, that sort of head of steam that, that, you know, made you feel like they were going to sort of return it round. You know, they've got this record of, um, is it, two wins in 12 at the Euros in, in 90 minutes now. You know, and yeah, they might come out of this game and say, oh, we're really unlucky against Belgium, but, you know, five years ago, they were very lucky to, to get as far as they did. So, as always in football, these things do sort of even out eventually.
4: Unless they're Ronaldo free kicks, because we should mention that if if he's making gestures at other people's attempts to score goals, what must the rest of the team be doing with him? What what are the numbers now?
5: So now it's 52 direct free kicks at World Cups and Euros. He scored one. Uh, It's a good one, but it's baffling how commentators, as soon as he gets one, still say, well, there's no one he'd rather be stood over this than... Ronaldo he's like one of the, the least effective free kick takers ever and actually I was watching you know the famous one he scored for Manchester United that started the knuckleball mm. against Portsmouth yeah I watched that go the other day and the commentator as he steps up says um, Ronaldo's got a hit and miss record with free kicks but we'll see how this one turns out and then it obviously turns out well so it's funny that the free kick that kind of you know made his name at that point everyone was like mm, not sure he's any good at them and then basically he's been kind of living off that one ever since.
4: Well, it's funny because they, they seem to sear themselves into the kind of consciousness. He became the free kick taker. I remember when Janinho was having one of his wonderful seasons with Leon Richard Keyes coming back off a highlights package saying, oh, he's been watching Ronaldo in action then, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> after seeing Janinho <laughs> working his match. Uh, statistically the greatest free kick taker ever, apart from Sinise Mihalovic. But I mean, the, the other example of that, of course, would be Roberto Carlos, who, who did it at the Tour Noir and, and lived off that for the rest of all time i think
3: that's the issue isn't it when there's a really memorable free kick because i think subtly another one is marcus rashford who scored that really Mm. good dipping one away at stanford bridge but you look at his record and i think he's on one in 40 one in 45 or something like that so it's almost like yeah if you score a real youtube classic that's the worst thing that can happen because it seems to override the statistical
4: analysis what about David Beckham? Was he actually not very good at free kicks?
3: No, he was good. Oh, yeah,
5: he was very good. He was yeah. good. Okay. He's got the right. he's got the Premier League record and you know, he scored from all across the the penalty box and, you know, geographically. And yeah, his technique was, was really good. So I think he he's very different. He is the kind of probably you know, one of the few people where his reputation did match his ability, you know, as opposed to someone who's very good like Janinho, but did probably didn't get enough credit for it. So Um, I mean, Harry Kane's another one, takes a lot of them for Spurs and England. I think he's only scored one or two in his whole career. Um, And yet people have a problem with him taking corners rather than direct free kicks. But there you go. Mm.
4: Uh, Lukaku continues in this tournament. What about his performance in this game?
3: I thought he did okay. Like I said, I don't think he had, well, one, I don't think he had great service. And two, I don't think he had great support, really. I thought he held the ball up well in the final 20, 30 minutes when he was up against two very physical centre-backs kind of gave Belgium the ability to get up the pitch. But in the first half, I thought he was fairly quiet. I don't think any of the attackers really came off this game again, particularly well, to be honest. And obviously with um, with Belgium, the worry is that both Hazard and De Bruyne went off injured. And if you create a side without their individual magic, then it's a lot less enticing without Hazard and De Bruyne.
5: Yeah, I mean, Eden Hazard, uh, I thought, really improved after De Bruyne was substituted. I mean, I don't think the two things are connected but he really he looks actually pretty effective in the second half and then lo and behold does his hamstring um which if he has you he probably won't feature for the rest of the tournament you think i mean i don't know the de Bruyne injury that might just be more of a kind of jarring impact one um but again i think a lot of that was down to the pitch as well so yeah i don't think Belgium will look back at Sevilla with a lot of enjoyment
3: I mean, with, with Hazard, I, I agree. Actually, he was he was good in the second half, wasn't he? And it it felt to me almost like he'd slightly started to learn how to play with his physical limitations, if that makes sense. Because we didn't really see so much of the acceleration and trying to get past players, but there was a lot of like very clever flicks around the corner, and it almost reminded me yeah. of like very late era. Francesco Totti when he could barely run anymore but was still the best player around at just playing those passes between the lines so I hope he comes back well I hope he's fit for the next game because I think in general he's been pretty good in tournaments I know there's some levels of football the Champions League for example he doesn't really play well at but tournament football I do always really enjoy really look forward to watching him
4: Of the four teams that have made it through so far to the quarterfinals Italy, uh, the Czech Republic, Belgium and Denmark who have you liked most?
5: Um, i think i think italy have been the most consistent you know they've deserved to win all all four of their games um denmark have shown the biggest improvement i would say obviously you can't really count their first game for christian ericsson reasons but the second game they were incredibly wasteful you know just really really wasteful and then suddenly in the in the third match started scoring long-range goals and have have continued that you know the first team ever in the euros to score four goals in consecutive matches so they're on a nice trajectory, but I think Italy have shown a sort of consistency and a kind of doggedness, particularly at Wembley, that that is the kind of hallmark of a team that can win a tournament. So if I was a Belgian fan, I would be concerned about playing Italy because I think, you know, they've got options on the bench, which Belgium increasingly have less of after tonight.
3: Yeah, I'd agree with Duncan. I mean, I always look at the goals against column, and Italy only conceded one goal in four games. In fact, four games in a bit because that goal was an extra time. I just feel the key probably is a few changes of personnel, isn't it? I mean, they won the game yesterday, really, because of their strength and depth from the bench. But I'd be surprised if Chiesa didn't start the next game. I think there's maybe an argument for Locatelli, although I can't see him leaving Verratti out. But I thought Locatelli, again, did really well when he came on. So maybe he'll, he'll rotate and make some match. But yeah, I, th- I think Italy. They, they don't really have a standout world-class attacker for me. But I think if Mancini can use the options at the right moment, I think they can get past Belgium. Uh, in the next round
4: we shall see a little bit later on we'll be having a bit of on this day in Euro history uh, with some classic Azuri action featuring uh, one of their more infamous uh, strikers Uh, next up though let's get on to Monday's last 16 action Hello, I'm Mark Chapman, host of The England Show, brought to you daily throughout Euro 2020. I'll be joined by writers from The Athletic and special guests to bring you unrivaled coverage dedicated to the England team this summer. So for expert insight into Southgate squad and post-game reaction to all the games, search for The England Show wherever you get your podcasts or via The Athletic app.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone?
1: On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football Show with James Richardson.
6: Spain of dreams,
4: 6, Croatia 0. Yep, Croatia in Copenhagen are facing the side that just under three years ago did that to them. A 6 0 defeat in the Nations League, their heaviest loss ever. It was Spain, of course. Can they get revenge this time around? Or, or could Spain get an even bigger scoreline? Well, Juraj Veddoliak joins us now uh, of Telesport in Croatia. Euro, first of all, uh, Spain and that 6-0. Uh, what are your memories
8: of that? I mean, uh, the the defeat against Spain in the Nations League was obviously very shocking, especially because it came just after the World Cup campaign where... Croatia sort of um, had to present themselves in a bit of a perhaps different light to kind of preserve the status of uh, of a World Cup finalist Um, and it was a huge huge upset Uh, although people didn't really perceived it uh, as a I mean it was a big blow but considering it was in, in, in the Nations League people were surprised but not really kind of very concerned. Um, Although uh, it it, it was seen more as as a fluke in Croatia, as a one-time fluke, as a Mm. sort of a warning not to get very comfortable in our new position. So, yeah, it it was a weird one, but um, it wasn't uh, received as bad as people would have thought.
4: Okay, Well, three years on, uh, they've just done a similar number on Slovakia uh, 5-0 in their most recent game at these Euros. And Croatia come into this, this latest meeting with Spain with the, the, the terrible news that Ivan Perisic has tested positive for COVID-19. I wish him the best. In football terms, where does this leave you?
8: Uh, well, the, the news that Ivan Perisic is out is, was really a, a huge shock, especially because Croatia took all of the, more or less, precautions possible um, to, to protect the team from infection. Uh, they've even... Uh, they've even decided to travel from Croatia to the games in the UK, uh, but it turns out that even that wasn't enough. So it isn't purely uh, sporting terms is a huge, huge miss. Ivan is well known as being perhaps our biggest big games player player for the big occasions. He's now, with these two goals he scored in the group stage, he's now uh, equaled Davar Šuke's record as the best goal scorer on the major tournaments as well, for nine goals in 14 games. So it's obviously a big, big loss, especially because um, he's uh, he's adapting both uh, attacking uh, the set defence and he's really, really great in counter. He's really still very agile, very physical player as well, so it will be a huge miss. Um, It's hard to say at the moment who will jump in. Most likely it will be Ante Rebic, but uh, Mislav Orsic of uh, Dinamo Zagreb, who sank Tottenham with his hat-trick, is also a contender (laughs) on the winger position, so we'll have to see the latest info from the camp after this shock subsides a bit.
4: How would you rate the campaign so far ahead of this, this match with Spain?
8: Uh it was a kind of a roller coaster of a campaign so far because um there were we we've previously had a chat and the there there were quite a number of issues surrounding this team uh with the formations with the, the sort of relationship in the, between the players and um there were kind of questions glooming over Zlatko Dalić as well there were pressure on him um he didn't handle the pressure very well but um, for, fortunately things have finally clicked against uh, Scotland. They, uh, my opinion on the Scotland game is that uh, it's more or less when when this group of player is most comfortable, um, they have enough individual quality to see off such an opponent. But uh, for the next round, for the knockout stages, we'll need a bit, obviously a bit of more than that. So Croatia is still the best when there are a lot of questions asked. and. Uh, this Spain game, it just might help them that they've avoided the the, the worst scenario, and that that kind of unloaded the burden off their chest. So I think they're gonna present themselves in a good light, but uh, it's yet to see will that be enough against the likes of Spain.
4: All right, what well, what kind of percentage
8: chance do you give yourselves? Oh, it's hard say. I'm not really good with uh, that type of predictions, but I think that there's I'd say it's still, uh, Spain is still a favourite. How much, uh, I'd rate about 60-40% for Spain, but it could turn quite easily in Croatia's favour as well.
4: So, Croatia, no pressure, but no Perisic. Spain, meantime, I read with interest that it's it's been nine years since they made it past the last 16 of a major tournament. That's remarkable. Are they, are they going to do it this time?
3: Yeah, I'd favour Spain. I think it's a game, a rare game at this tournament between two sides who will probably look to dominate possession. So it should be hopefully quite a high tempo uh, game, certainly in, in terms of sides looking to dominate the ball. I quite like Spain, I must say. I think that even in the first two games, they worked the ball into good positions. And I tend to have faith in strikers that get into good zones but can't quite apply the finish that eventually they'll come good. Maratta is testing my faith a little bit, I think it's fair to say. But I fancy them to create more chances uh, than Croatia, who I must say I don't completely get their attacking section of the side. I think they slightly used Rebic in a, in a weird way. And also without even Perisic, who um, just consistently seems to produce at tournaments, particularly in terms of goals, I think the absence of him is a real big blow because I don't think Croatia have too many other goal scorers.
4: Croatia may be advised to play for penalties, actually. Spain having missed their last five spot kicks, uh, Croatia won two shootouts en route to the World Cup final in 2018. One thing about Spain, and you mentioned that the draws against Sweden and Poland, which left them facing the possibility of elimination, if you squinted really hard. Um, Busquets coming back against Slovakia, was was that the big difference, why they kind of suddenly blossomed, or was it the fact they were playing Slovakia?
5: Uh, I think probably more that they were playing Slovakia. I mean, right. you know, five or was goals it the stadium? Is, well, they did prove that some teams can play. I mean, Busquets is probably, you know, the good good sort of player to have on a pitch that's cutting up uh, you know he's been around the block he's seen these things before but yeah I mean Spain they've become a sort of as Michael, Michael pointed out earlier about memes that people then just wrap stuff around but you know the, the meme of old Morata and Moreno are wasting chances but Spain had the highest XG in the group stage of any team they still scored six goals in the group stage you know I mean, they're creating good chances they're playing well as a team they're pressing the ball really really well high up the pitch and, and winning that back probably better than anyone else in the tournament So. And I think Croatia's ageing side might struggle with that as well. So, I mean, I, I quite enjoy watching this Spain and, and I can't say that for Spain in a lot of previous tournaments, um, even ones where mm. they've won the trophy sometimes. So, yeah, I expect them to, to do well in this game and um, I'm, expecting, I'm expecting goals from Spain, to be honest.
4: Right. Well, if they do get through, they'll be facing France or Switzerland in the quarterfinals france and the swiss who go at it on monday as well we'll talk about that encounter next we're
1: sponsored for this episode of the totally football show by shopify shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage Shopify's there to help you grow From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to the Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. This is the Totally
4: Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Monday's late game is France against Switzerland in Bucharest. Uh, Julien Laurent joins us now on the line. Jules, I've got your world champions, Benzema's great, Paris born and bred on my bingo card, so I'm feeling pretty confident about this chat. But tell us something we don't know <laughs> about France after that group stage. What, what, what have you learnt from your two draws and just one win?
6: We haven't learned too much from what we didn't know before. uh, Complacency that sometimes can creep in in that team, we we knew it before, is still there. We saw it against Hungary where I think they took that game for granted when, when clearly he was going to be tougher than what they thought. Apart from that, they were impressive against Germany, which we expected. They were very good in the second half against Portugal, not so much in the first half. That was a very slow start for them and maybe... That's what we learn, and it's a bit worrying if, if for every big game they're going to play from now on, starting against Switzerland on Monday night, if they take 45 minutes to get into the game or 40 minutes to get into the game, then they could run into trouble. But, but I don't think we've learned much. This is a team that thrives on knockout stages games anyway. This is a team that thrives on those big, you're, you're, you're in and then you're out if you lose, always. They've always been better once the the tournament reaches this kind of phase than before. So it's not surprising. What could surprise you, Jimbo, maybe, is that it looks like they could change formation and go with a a back three, which is something that Deshaun tried a little bit in the last 18 months, but something that we didn't really see coming, to be fair, until some injuries arrived.
4: I say, Well, yeah, I am very taken aback by that. What's going on with Kylian (laughs) Mbappé? Where are his shooting boots, Jules?
6: I love this uh, English expression of uh, shooting boots. Well, clearly he left them in France. Otherwise, he would have worn them and he would have scored loads of goals, wouldn't he, Jimbo?
3: Mm,
4: right. Okay. Is there much concern about him or, 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 or anything uh, amongst the you know French public and press?
6: It's, no. So, more seriously, it's not a worry yet because, again, uh, it's only the, uh, the group stages. At the World Cup in 2018, for example, he only scored once. Uh, in the group stages Uh, and he was a different player he was much younger of course Mm
7: -hmm. but
6: but it's not worrying for now he's the only one who hasn't scored of that front three Griezmann has scored Benzema has scored as you said but he had some good games or good moments at times in in those first three games uh, against against Germany I thought he was a he was a real threat there's that uh, ball for Rabiot that ended up on the post there's the The goal that he scored that was disallowed for for an offside that was rightly offside, but a a mini offside. Same with the Benzema goal that he assisted. So there was a lot of good things. Hungary, I think he lost his way a bit like the rest of the team because of that complacency. And then Portugal, Mm -hmm. it was not the greatest, but I still thought at times that he looked threatening. So he will get there. Again, physically, he did a lot of work with Deschamps to be 100% or to peak now for the last 16 onwards. So I expect right. him to be very good against the Swiss and, and then for the rest of the competition.
4: Right, if, if indeed there is one. Uh, meantime, uh, Michael here, uh, suggesting on the Zonal Marking podcast that Paul Pogba is the player of the tournament so far. Would you agree? 100%
6: completely. I picked him uh, on, on Five Live in the show that we do as my player mm. of the tournament so far. He was amazing against the Germans, really. He was, he was not too bad. He was certainly the best French players who, who were bad against Hungary and then I thought against Portugal he was fantastic uh, even in the first half when f- the French had a slow start he lost a couple of balls but after that he was so dominant in midfield I've, I've rarely seen him in that kind of form even in 2018 he was not that good certainly from the start of the tournament yesterday at training uh, right at the end we were watching and he, um, he asked for McManial. To kick the ball from almost like the 6 jack box let's say and he said look 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 i'm going to do a special first touch right a special control so the ball comes 40 yards in the air and he's got his back to where the ball was coming from so towards minion and he controlled it letting the ball go between his leg and then with the outside of his foot forward like if he was attacking the other goal. it was a, an amazing piece of skill and i think he really feels like just nothing can stop him. No one can stop him. That he's he's at his best, and he he has this leadership that is even more there than before. He he he's just the the big boss in that team, and and mm. that was a slow process. But right now, he's he's so important to them. And I agree with Mike. He's he's, he's the best player so far in this tournament.
4: He certainly got his passing boots on. And by the way, you, <laughs> I would thought I would think that shooting boots in French would make a lot of sense because they would be boots de boots. You no. Know? sort of anyway let's finish off with this Jaws uh you mentioned Switzerland and uh, I think I'm right in saying the tournament beyond Uh, it's fair that Switzerland looks like a reasonably simple round of 16 opponent but then uh, so did Austria for the Italians and so did the Czechs for the Dutch so uh, should you not be a little bit more cautious of a team that's drawn four of the last five meetings with you
6: yeah, although the difference between Italy, France and the Netherlands is that the Netherlands don't really have a good coach uh, and like the French and the Italians. So so that could that could make a very different story. I, I think that this is a team that France should beat uh, despite the talent that they have, and they are a talented team, but we saw in the group sessions, but also in, in past tournaments that it gets to a point where they show their limits. Uh, and you're right, it's only one win in the last five for France, uh, but that was that was a very important one at the World Cup, and 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 uh, and I think this France team has has an edge over the Switzerland team, and that if they all turn up, and again, I'm the most I'm worried about James is complacency, and I really think, as I've been saying many times, that the worst enemy of this French team is 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 our is ourselves is the French themselves, and I I really hope that comes Monday night Deschamps and Pogba as we said about the leadership and the rest of the team realizes that this is a tough game because you're right it's a tough game it's not an easy game at all and that if you don't all turn up 100% you might not qualify and or it might be tough like Italy or you might not do it at all like the Netherlands so I really hope they, they've got that mindset which again I think they do when it gets to the group stages this is really when the tournament starts we saw it in 2016 we saw it in 2018 even to a certain extent 2014 and, and I think they will they will be there again and I don't think Switzerland will be strong enough to stop them
4: Julian Ron's there. Always a delight to hear from him. And uh, check out whatever it was that Pogba did in training. I'm a bit mystified about that. Michael, have you seen it? No, I haven't. It sounds great. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> All
5: right. Say, you win tournaments, isn't it? It's doing stuff in training. Um, little flex. That's uh, wow. Well, get extra points that. No.
4: Okay. Uh, what, what do you make of this game, then?
3: I struggle to see Switzerland winning just because I... I just can't envision Switzerland getting past France in the second round of the year. I just can't imagine that possibility, having seen Switzerland over the last 10 years or so. The only thing I can think is that maybe Imbolo up against Varane. I think Imbolo's had a really good tournament so far. Another player, a little bit like Perisic, who always seems to impress me at tournaments and doesn't quite live up to the billing for his club. And France's defensive shape has been a bit odd. They've, they've changed system a couple of times. They've now gone back to the system they use at the World Cup which obviously worked very well at the World Cup because they won it. But I think sometimes it's a bit uh, imbalanced. Sometimes they're a little bit more exposed down one side than the other. And with their problems at full-back, both on the left, where they've got a couple of players out injured, and on the right, we're not quite sure what's happening. Maybe um, Pavard you know, has, has suggestions he might come back. I'm not quite sure why. Um, maybe Switzerland could have some joy attacking down the flanks, but... I just think uh, France will have too much. The front three really is quite special. I'm not sure they've completely clicked as a trio, but obviously individually they've all been capable of great moments. And, you know, as you say, I think Pogba has been fantastic so far. I think his his passing range has been fantastic. So I, I never really expect fireworks from France, but I don't expect them to go out either.
5: I still enjoy the fact that the, uh, the goal against Hungary just came from a massive kick from Lloris like in a League <laughs> 2 game that Mbappe just chased down and, and eventually squared and it got to, got to Griezmann but yeah I mean I think the same as Michael I can't see Switzerland getting past them I mean I don't want to go all swimming pool guard in the day to day but this is where they get to isn't it you know in the 2014 World Cup they got to the last 16 and lost in Euro 2016 they got to the last 16 and lost in the 2018 World Cup they got to the last 16 and lost um but Who this might be the incident with the Pigeon. Trend. This
4: year here might it be could the incident be. with no, the we've Pigeon. Al-
5: no, we've already had the incident with the Pigeon at the Euros. In the Germany... One of the Germany games. So, yeah. Because there was... In, in 2021,
4: and Switzerland went through. In 2024.
5: Yeah. Jules' dreams died. Etc.
4: Well, we'll see, Duncan. We'll see. We don't have long to wait. Monday evening, that game will roll around. Uh, very shortly... We'll have some more old-school class with On This Day. First of all, though, let's get some odds from Paddy Power. Uh, Let's head over to producer Ben. Thank
1: you very much, Jimbo. It's Jason Murphy from Paddy Power on the line again. Don't fast-forward this bit, listeners. There's good stuff coming up. And, Jason, show us how good it is. Um, Tell us the overalls, please, for Croatia versus Spain and where the best value is.
7: Yeah, so Spain to win in 90 minutes is 4-7, to Croatia 11-2 to qualify Spain short to 2-7 to to get the job done. But Croatia at 5-2 might be worth a look. First of all, we told people not to worry about Spain. They got the two draws against Sweden and Poland. But if you look at the games, they created the chances, just didn't take them. But they cashed in that XG, so they did against Slovakia, with a bit of help from Dubrovsk and others. But listen, does Luis Enrique know his best team? I don't think he does. And that's part of the issue here, why Croatia are look Because Pekovic coming in with a world-class midfield three behind it, I think having a look at Croatia at those prices to cause an upset, I'd be a little bit worried for Spanish backers really going into the game. I think this is one where, if we're going to see an upset in the last 16, this is potentially where it could happen.
1: All right. Well, I don't see much of an upset happening in Switzerland versus France but um, perhaps there's a little bit of value in Switzerland not losing in the 90 minutes. Can you give us some, yes. uh, some of the numbers here, please?
7: Yeah, so the Swiss not losing 90 minutes, it's a market that we offer. It's essentially the double chance market. So you're saying at 90 minutes, it's either a draw or a Swiss win. And the price on that is six to four. And of course it is possible. But if you look at that Swiss team against Italy in particular, we still consider this French team a cut above that Italy team. And the Swiss just never lay a glove. Like if you look at the stats, look at the eye test the Swiss were just really poor, whereas Benzema is now up and running. He's got, since his international tour, he got the two goals the other night against Portugal. With the attacking talent that the French have, I think there's potential, despite the Shams being quite conservative, for them to actually cut loose here a little bit, similar to what we've seen in the World Cup against Argentina in the first knockout game, once the to groups to put four past the Argentinians, I could see something similar here. And if you look at the movement Locatelli made against the Swiss, potentially if you're doing bet builders with Paddy Power for this game, have a look at Pogba maybe they do something similar. Not quite as good a 1-2, but give and go and get in the box he's 5-1 anytime time to score in this game but really cannot see the Swiss causing an upset here against the French The Totally Football Show sponsored by Paddy Power
0: Find a bookie who loves you right back as much as Gareth loves right backs Place a 4 plus fold bet builder on any football match and get money back as a free bet if one leg lets you down Check paddypower.com for more details £10 max free bet T's and C's apply
4: 18 plus Ooh, sign up for a subscription with The Athletic and you'll get unrivaled coverage of Euro 2020, all the articles, all the podcasts ad-free, and Q&As with writers, all for just one pound a month for your first six months. Head to theathletic.com slash totally. On this day in Euro's history, I'm talking about the 28th of June 2012. Do you know what happened?
7: Si Balotelli, posizione regolare di Balotelli. Balotelli in area
8: rigore.
4: E una statua nel cielo di Varsavia. Loosely translated, it's a big ebony statue that's looming in the Warsaw sky. This was Mario Balotelli with the brace against uh, Germany in the Euro uh, Euro 2012 semi-final two uh, one, the victory for Italy, one of the best nights. Of Mario Balotelli's career and he, he did actually have quite a few but uh, perhaps the one that internationally at least people really rem- remember him for also I don't know if you've seen these these goals at all recently but it was a standout performance from Juan Antonio Cassano who was the other kind of great unrealized talent of, of, of um, you know recent Italy history he, he looked absolutely I mean he was very much you were talking earlier about Totti just kind of Strolling around and stroking balls around Cassano, because he literally couldn't be asked, was just stood there stationary and just kind of knocking balls past past the German defenders. Magnificent stuff. Um, yeah,
3: I actually saw um, a reference to Cassano today. He was doing some punditry. I think I was was talking about Mancini's selection, and oh, yeah. um, the report just mentioned that he appeared at three European Championships for Italy. Which amazed me just because it makes it, from that it almost mm. makes him out to be this real consistent player who was <laughs> you know, at the top of his game for such a long period of time when the truth was anything but. But no, he was brilliant in that tournament. I liked his uh, his partnership with Balotelli worked really well. And the second goal, the, the Balotelli's, um, where well, he blasts it into the top corner mm. in a kind of one-on-one. don't think I've ever seen a one-on-one finish like that. Mm. And I, I always think it's maybe just because Balotelli, he didn't fear missing. You know, I almost think yeah. the consequences of him missing was was not a big deal, and I can't imagine him kind of panicking in that situation. But it's just the most emphatic one-on-one finish you'll ever see.
5: He also scored that goal for City, didn't he? When the ball dropped down and he just shouldered it in like that, which yeah. again is not a manoeuvre most players would risk. I I would think so. I mean, my memory from that tournament is was it five players that finished on three goals at the end, and they did. They decided the golden boot on an assist that you know, not. That clear assist from Fernando Torres, which seemed a little bit harsh. I think Golden Boot should be purely on the number of goals scored. They should have shared it between the five players, but it is how what how it can is. How you do that? Well, there are lots of things that are shared in football.
4: I suppose. All right. Well, it ushered in a glorious era for the Azzurri, uh, who went on to lose 4-0 to Spain in the, the final. Germany, meanwhile, picked themselves up and won the World Cup two years later. Uh, while Italy got knocked out by Uruguay in that uh, Suarez biting Killini
5: game, which led to I think Jan Argefjertoft on Twitter biting his own hand to prove that what an actual bite would look like, and this wasn't a bite. It was <laughs> that was a good night.
4: So he, his his suggestion was that Suarez didn't bite Killini.
5: Yeah, because I think Killini showed the mark, and his yeah. I think that his theory was that's not a bite mark and I'll prove it. I'll bite my own hand and then show people what that looks like. I'm not sure that if that's how bites are classified, but.
4: No, I mean, the hand is fleshier than the the shoulder and particularly Cellini's shoulder, I'm thinking. So you're going to leave more of an an indentation. I I wasn't aware that there was any controversy about Suarez having a nibble. I thought that was pretty much, uh, you know, documented, but anyway. Happy days, happy days. There'll be more of that kind of thing, no doubt, in Tuesdays. Totally at the Euros, which will feature Daniel Storey and Carl Anker and their thoughts on Monday's games. We have come to the end of our rainbow, though. Uh, Duncan and Michael, anything you want to add before we salute the listener?
5: Well, I don't think there's much chance of rainbow, given the amount of rain that's falling right now, but although that is one of the ingredients, so you never know.
3: Here's one quick thing I'd like to say which I probably should have said about a minute ago. You know, everyone's right. talking about Mancini and how he's revolutionised Italy with their style of play. I mean, Prandelli's right. Italy played really good football, didn't they? I mean, the, the four true. great passing midfielders with their pillow, Verratti was some. he was there in the world cup. Montelivo was there. De Rossi was there. Tiago Motta was there. And, and like, we've already spoken about the two up front. So nothing against Mancini He's done a really good job, but, and of course was, was taking over after a really poor period for Italian football. But, i like to give a bit of praise to Prandelli because I think he was a great coach and obviously a, a great guy as well who we might not see
5: back in football again by the sounds of his resignation mm. from Fiorentina.
3: So, yeah.
5: Also, um, Pirlo in the extra time against England in that tournament was the most controlled extra time performance I've ever seen. He completed more passes than England did themselves and it was <laughs> a... You know, he's like... It was so dominant. England would... There were points where England had 11 men virtually in their own box and were just lumping it down the pitch and it was just one way traffic but it's fine we'll take him to Does that work out well
4: very good uh, well a lovely uh, addendum or postscript if you will I look forward to seeing you guys back on Totally Soon uh, many thanks for this evening and to producer Charlie and listener I hope you've enjoyed it do join us again Tuesday morning for now from all of us here it's goodbye you've been listening to the Totally Football Show part of the
1: Athletic Podcast Network Listen, ad free on The Athletic app and discover bonus content by following The Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Keep up to date with everything Totally at The Totally Show on Twitter and find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash Totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power.
8: The Athletic.